Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 87th episode of the Socially Distanced Podcast. My name is Bill Bodkin. I am the editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com, and I'm your host for this episode. Al Manorino, my uh, fearless sidekick and co-host and reluctant managing editor, is on assignment tonight. By on assignment, I mean he's at the movies watching Spider-Man. But I am joined by a very special guest. He is... One could call him the podcast guru of the poprake.com's podcasting network. Others could call him the executive producer of all things audio. He is the king of the penultimate episode. Some might say he's the kingpin of the penultimate episode. Alex Marcus, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Bill. Do you have mac and cheese for me to eat today? <laughs> God, why do you? Listen, well, you're the last person I thought that would do that, and thank you for that. That was amazing. Yes, that's right. We're talking about macaroni, the macaroni and cheese episode of Hawkeye, the penultimate episode, episode five, an extremely short episode, but filled with boxed pasta covered in cheese, as well as uh, some shocking revelations and a lot of action. Alex, um, hold on one second. Alex. Uh, since you're just joining the uh, review series, uh, what's been your thoughts on Hawkeye so far? So I've really enjoyed Hawkeye so far. I have to admit that a lot of people uh, kept saying over and over again, hey, I'm not excited for Hawkeye. Jeremy Renner sucks. Hawkeye sucks. He's boring. And I was always telling them, like, no, I think that you should really be open-minded to this because, like, sure, Hawkeye is not the most interesting Avenger, but it's also going to be introducing Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop, and that's a really cool character, and she's so well cast in the role. And there's these other people that are going to be on this show that seem really interesting, so you should really give it a chance. And uh, I feel very vindicated by that opinion because I think this is one of the best uh, MCU properties of uh, 2021 uh, movies and television altogether. And uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I think that it never really hits kind of like the high highs of a show like WandaVision or a movie like Shang-Chi, but I do think that it is the most consistent MCU television show to date. Um, It really doesn't have these big swings of like, well, that was kind of a rough episode or anything like that. It's just, it's a really solid, fun B plus week in, week out. And I'm really enjoying it. What do you think about uh, the Christmas aspect of it? We're kind of making it more of a Christmas show. You know, every, every kind of like show I've said, it kind of fits a certain mold or a certain like television archetype. Uh, what do you think about this being set during Christmas and having these like Christmas themes of the, the beleaguered dad trying to get home, you know, <laughs> Alex divorced dad vibes. Um, yes. But, um, well, also- and I, I have to say, I also feel a little vindicated because I don't know listeners. I don't know if you're aware. I think I did it on this podcast uh, a few months ago, yeah. uh, but basically I, I told Bill that I thought that he might like this show because it has like divorced dad vibes. And I feel like he has divorced dad vibes too. And I, and even though he is a dad who is not divorced and I do feel vindicated by that too, because Jeremy Renner, Clint Barton on this show is a happily married dad who also is giving divorced dad vibes. So it's like a whole thing, not just uh, not just like specifically being divorced. So I feel like the show is honoring what I was trying to articulate, even if I maybe inti- articulated it in a very insulting manner. <laughs> it kind of took me off guard, but I always, I always, I told my wife that she thought it was hilarious. And she's just like, <laughs> also, 
like kind of accurate since you're always trying to get i'm always trying to get my shit together and be okay and, and i get and win my family back even though i don't need to win my <laughs> at all as my daughter was just bouncing around up on the, the bed behind yes. us recording um but yeah you were the one who told me you messaged me the day you you watched it before i did and you're like you need to watch the show this show is for you and i can't wait to tell you what you, uh, what you thought about it and uh well you listen to all the episodes so you know how i feel about it um i have one one question i want to get into you before we get into the heart of the episode because we will have someone i've i've heard i've heard someone swinging into the episode coming through very appropriate for this episode to have a special in, guest in the, uh in the uh in the shadows of the night someone is, is, is great <laughs> um Oh, oh man, I totally lost my train of thought. Oh, so six episodes though. I mean, we saw this with yeah. Loki. Do you think it actually this series has actually suffered so far from um, only being six episodes, and this fifth episode being only thirty-five minutes or so? You know, with credits. I do not think that it has suffered at all for being this length of time. You know, a lot of people feel like, oh, it's like too much stuff uh, stuffed in too small of a box. And that has definitely been a fair complaint for other MCU shows. I think especially um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier had that problem of just being like 10 pounds of plot in a five pound bag. But I feel like with this show, the reason why it doesn't bother me is because the show is so character centric. It's character first, plot second, every single episode. And because of that, it doesn't necessarily matter when you're watching it of like, oh, there's all these balls in the air and everything like that. But like that is so secondary to the character development of these of the central characters and the um, like tertiary characters that we're running into in different episodes like they're the focus and what they go through in the episode what their connection is to each other those quiet scenes that they have together those scenes of bonding and and all of that of building into this like important relationship uh, and series of relationships all of that works so well that it really doesn't bother me that it's like that there's a lot of things going on in the background. I feel like it only is additive because they're taking this approach. I feel like the problem that other MCU shows had, like say Falcon and Winter Soldier, is that they tried to put so much plot into it and they sacrificed time with characters in order to develop plots, but they didn't develop them fully because there were too many plots and there was too many characters, so they couldn't develop the characters fully and they just didn't really know how they wanted to put the pieces together. And so it just felt overwhelmed and overstuffed. But here they have such a clear idea of what story they're actually telling. And it's a story of Clint Barton and Kate Bishop and everything else is secondary to that. And they know that and they're treating it that way. And so I think it really is effective. Awesome. So. But I have, I have some, some quibbles to pick with you, my friend, because I've been listening I mean, and I listen. I mean, I, I mean, I, you know, me when I record these podcasts, sometimes I have a little bit to drink, so <laughs> you might have to refresh my memory on some things I've said. Well, there were, there were two points that you guys made last week that I wanted to raise before we get into this episode. And because I, because I, I yelled it in my car and now I can say it to your face. So I think it's only fair, but there on one, one hand, uh, you, consistently referred to Echo, Maya, the character, Maya Lopez, as a villain. And you kept saying, like, I don't know if they're going to have enough time to, like, give her, to let her have her baby face turn or whatever technical wrestling terminology you were throwing out there. Um, And, and the, and 
I just don't like resonate with that idea at all. I don't feel like she's being presented as a villain in this show. She's an antagonist to our protagonist for sure. But I think she's being presented so sympathetically and on a righteous quest to get justice for her father. So I don't think that it, that she really is the villain of the show. I think the villain of the show is finally emerging as we, in this episode that's coming up. Well, but, see, but the, so my point wasn't wrong though, because here we had the seeds planted for the baby face turn because she is, let's face it, she is in a crime syndicate. She's not exactly squeaky clean. Well, but kill, I mean, Clint, Clint Barton was a mass murderer before well, this you know, show. So, you know. Yeah, guys, it's, it's fine. It's <laughs> fine. It's fine. It's justified. And Haley Seinfeld destroyed a hundred-year-old, uh, you know. Uh, Shenanigans. <laughs> Tower. Obviously, didn't mean it. Come on. That was the humor of it. It was like an. Oopsie Daisy, and now for doing a Gangs in New York reference here, uh, but it's like you know I'm not going to reference Cameron Diaz's character from that character, which tragically underrated. Uh, but regardless, <laughs> this is a joke. Yes, uh, it's she was the, there for the performance, and they just didn't. The script didn't support it, and that's it's a crime for all involved. I'll agree with you. Yes, uh, but uh, but they planted the seeds here, where it's just like, hey, you were betrayed, and she was like, wait a second, now my whole world is is changing like now it's like my father was killed you know he was wanted they wanted him dead oh now you get the sympathy i thought now you get the sympathy for it. like i got the whole like she's very upset about her father so you had the sympathy there but for me just to develop a whole series about her you had to do more of this and i think that's what this episode did was it gave us a little more credence to oh she's been betrayed by the people she was raised by and they killed her father sure. and now now we're getting that so for me now I feel fulfilled and like, oh yeah, it totally makes sense. She's okay. So they made this when we'll get into that more, I'm sure. But so for me, I feel like it was in sports talk radio. You're like, (laughs) they should have traded that guy. (laughs) I would have loved to see you with like a cigar in your mouth. Like, what are they doing? In another life, man, when I was 13, I I used to call into, or I used to send in emails to uh, like, baseball radio shows that mlb.com hosted on the internet <laughs> that's that's how i was it before i came out of the closet um but anyway so <laughs> so that's a hot i mean i think now you have to be on our uh, by the way so i'm gonna tease this our 100th episode uh will be a Moneyball episode so we're talking about the movie Moneyball. so if you're a big baseball oh, fan, i mean know. i was the biggest baseball fan and i love aaron sorkin so i mean you know that i have to be on that episode that episode's good for what we have planned it's going to be the most bonkers episode we've ever done i hope um, you are eating in through the entire episode you're just chomping on nuts the entire time so many jokes, but yes. But in any um, case, the other thing that I wanted to bring up very quickly before we leave is that, or we're not leaving, before we get into it, before we start, like we haven't even started yet, <laughs> is is that you uh, you referred to the death of the of uh, of Jack's uncle as a murder mystery, and I was like baffled. You were like, they're not developing the murder mystery. And I was like, it's not a murder mystery. Certainly someone has died and we don't know for sure who did it, well, but it's not a murder mystery. Well, like a murder mystery is like, oh, we have all of these suspects and we're trying to decide who they are one by one. But it's like, we know basically that like he died because of this other plot that's going on. And we know basically like Jack and Eleanor have something to do with it. And the big tension is, is Jack 
like roping Eleanor into it? Is Eleanor roping Jack into it? Are they in it together? And like, so that's kind of like the big tension. And I feel like the show has been developing that tension pretty consistently throughout every episode. So what you're saying is there was murder and it's a mystery who did it. Yeah. But like also there was like a stolen watch. But the but the show isn't about like solving a cr- a burglary crime, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so they um, there there is a, I, I'm, I I can't agree with you. There there is we have a mystery here. We have because and we have so who done it? Who done it's it? It's not a who done it though. It's not it's like that. Like the, I feel like that's part of the show. Who done it? Who done killed? The but guy that's not a, It's not a central. It's not a central plot driver. It's like a side plot of that contributes to the larger conspiracy. It's a conspiracy, not a murder mystery. You know what I mean? So it's a murder conspiracy. It's well, <laughs> it's like that would be like calling like the wind, like Captain America, the winter soldier, a, mo- a murder mystery because like, because spoiler alert, like Nick Fury gets killed except he doesn't, but, and then they have to like find out who did it, but it's like, it's not a murder mystery. It's a conspiracy plot that they're trying to untangle. And there was a death in the, as like part of it. That was just like my very um, semantic brain uh, firing on all cylinders. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I could give you the one. I can't give you that one. Cause to me, it's okay. a murder mystery. We're so we, we have the mystery of the murder. So we're going to go into that, but you know what? What better way of quibbling about points and semantics than moving into our first segment, which is, of course, I'm about to read a Wikipedia entry for the plot summary, which is a really bad um, walking into winter wonderland uh, take. But listen, guys, it's been a week. Um, so this is episode five, Ronin, uh, directed by Burton Birdie, written by Jenna Noel Frazier. Um, and this is the part of the podcast where I just read from the Wikipedia entry. Um, in 2018, um, Yelena Belova and fellow Black Widow Sonia subdue a woman named Annie, who is helping, de- who has been helping her deprogram Black Widows. Following this, Yelena becomes a victim of the blip. Uh, Kate Bishop returns to her mother's house and informs her about Duquesne's Shell Corporation leading Eleanor to call the NYPD and have him arrested. Bishop returns to her apartment where she finds Yelena waiting for her before the latter reveals her past and mission to kill Hawkeye. Meanwhile, after recovering at Grill's apartment, uh, Hawkeye visits an Avengers memorial to apologize to Natasha Romanoff for what he is about to do. He dons the Ronin suit and confronts Maya at the auto shop where he killed her father. During the fight, he unmasks himself and attempts to convince her to let go of her vendetta and leave his family alone. He reveals not so different, you and I. Mm, how many times have we heard that line before? He reveals an informant working for Lopez's boss wanted her father dead, but Lopez initially disbelieves him. Disbelieves him. I'm trying to say that. Uh, Bishop arrives to help Barton escape while Lopez confronts and questions Kazi. The next day, Yelena texts Kate, revealing she was hired by Eleanor to kill Clint, and Eleanor is working with Maya's uncle, who Barton identifies as the kingpin, as played by Vincent D'Onofrio. Well, a lot happened in that episode, so let's... um, 
move into the next segment, which um, we call the bullseye. So aptly named. I came up with all those five minutes before the last episode started. Um, and that's what worked, what hit the most in the episode. What was the best part of this episode for you, Alex? What worked mm. the best for you? It could be multiple things. We've got plenty of time. So let me know what worked for you. What was your bullseye or bullseyes for this episode? I mean, I want to say it's Tony Dalton's Jack, like just like without a care in the world, just like sauntering out in handcuffs being like, it's fine. I've never worked a day in my life. This will all work out. <laughs> but uh, it's not. It's, of course, the Florence Pugh scene as Yelena Belova. I mean, honestly, all of her scenes are great. Like, literally, like she's a, she has three scenes and they're my three favorite parts of the episode. But it definitely, if I had to boil it down to one single thing, it would be the tete-a-tete uh, between Florence Pugh and Haley Seinfeld uh, in that apartment. That was so French of you, I said. Oh, okay. I didn't hear that. <laughs> My stupid, stupid comments. Um, yeah. Oui, like, je suis en français. Cool, dude. <laughs> um, so that was a real interesting scene because, like, how did you take... Sometimes Florence Pugh's accent went a little over the top for me. But I'm all here time, for it. Yeah, but at the same time, when she's like, I love hot sauce on all my foods and all, try this mac and cheese, Kate Bishop. And I'm just like, wow, that's kind of pushing it. But I'm like, ah, it's fine. It works. It's fantastic. She's fantastic. I won't hear anything else. Uh, I think that the, I think the accent is fine. I think that uh, it's, you know, coming out of House of Gucci, it's certainly not the worst uh, accent of 2021 that I've heard. Oh, um, <laughs> House of Gucci. I'm just like, <laughs> Yeah, she doesn't sound like Dracula. I think she's good. I I like it. I think that she has so much fun in this role. She has so much charisma just like oozing through every line delivery. And she's so effortlessly funny and then is able to just shift into drama without you even realizing. And I think she's just such a talented actress. I love her in Little Women. Uh, she's really excellent in Midsommar. She's got such a big future ahead of her. And I just love that we're going to get to see her in this role for probably like a decade if we're lucky. Because I, I, she's just so great. I want them to just put her in every movie. I want her to have a five film franchise. I'm just like all in on Yelena Belova and Florence Pugh's portrayal. Like she just has so much magnetism in the role. It's just like she's so easy with with kate and just has such command of the room and like even just like that one scene that where she's just on the street in new york city like she you you get that sense of her taking in all of the sights like she said she wanted to but also she's on a mission but also she's like kind of like like going there's like six different things happening and she's expressing all of it effortlessly and really with a great command of tone and that is just something that all of these movies and TV shows can really benefit from. I feel like, you know, all of the, all of the best performers in the MCU are able to kind of navigate that, that shift from comedy to drama to action uh, without uh, breaking a sweat. I mean, I really felt like I felt watching Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, um, the way that he just acts on another level with everyone else and is just so inside of this character and just feels so free and feels so spontaneous. Like that's what I was getting from her performance. So I'm here for it and I don't mind the accent. I don't think it's that bad. What, um, 
Now, was her being in the blip ever dis- – I mean, it, it was never discussed, right? Because we had we, – so we no, well, her in Black Widow and – Right. Right? Yeah, so Black Widow, of course, happens uh, after Civil War, before Infinity War. Um, and at the end of that film, we kind of – before the end credits uh, scenes – uh, we are left with Florence Pugh uh, taking on that mission that Nat gives her uh, to wake up all of the other widows. And then we don't really know what happened to her because, of course, the other films in like chronologically happen are the ones that happened before Black Widow actually was in production and before this character even existed in the real world. Um, so they never make any mention of her. And it was kind of like split down the middle. Like, did she get blipped? And that's why we don't see her in Infinity War, like hypothetically. Um, or did, was she just busy freeing all of the widows? And that's why she's not with Nat. And I think a lot of people felt like that was wrong, that if she had been around, that she would have been... At, with Nat when all this happened she wouldn't have left her given the really strong connection that that film presents and so I think this kind of validates those people uh, for saying like yes the reason why she wasn't there at the Avengers compound when you know Scarlett Johansson is crying over a, a PB&J sandwich is because she was gone and it kind of adds retroactively more emotional heft between for that black widow that natasha romanoff uh arc that we watch over infinity war and endgame like knowing uh that she really lost her whole family uh not just uh the family that she built with the avengers and not the just the failure of like losing to thanos but she even lost this person who she had just reconnected with and who meant so much to her so i think it's a great choice it's not something that we knew for sure going into this but i think it's excellent i have a question for you what did you think about the fact that they included that scene before the previously on hawkeye i loved it i thought it was better Uh, i thought i think it worked really well because it's just like we i but you know we needed that we needed that extra motivation for her because I think just like, I don't know if it would have worked as well because it just was, this was previously in another, you know, another world. <laughs> I'm not saying it right. It's like previously before Hawkeye was a thing. This, yeah. I, I really, I really like that because we had like this idea of just like, okay, this is, we've explained this part. Like you were saying, this missing piece of history that like, okay, we've met this character. Why was she not there? Why would she be going around the world saving black widow, you know, other widows, what wouldn't she be with Natasha? And wouldn't she be bringing the cured Black Widows with her to to fight Thanos and his army? Like, wouldn't that make mm-hmm. sense? So this explains that. And also is now you can see why she's going to go after Clint or be motivated to go after Clint because she's like, well, uh, you know, you hear these these stories. Oh, he he's the reason she died. And so I was like, okay, yeah. so now I can go instead of being like in the moment and people telling her, no, this didn't happen. Or she would have seen it herself. She would have known. So that it was on Vormir. So she wouldn't have necessarily seen it regardless, but I get what you mean. Yeah. I th- <laughs> but I think it was more like, die. I mean, I don't know if, how, uh, I, I, again, I didn't see the movie uh, as much. I know everything that happened. In you it. didn't see Avengers Endgame? No, I still have so much of MCU oh to watch. God. Dude. Okay, well, they die on another planet. Basically, I know. I know like in I the past, they they die. I sh- to be clear, they die on another planet in the past. Yeah. 
that's that's how Natasha dies. So, so it would be hard for her to know that that's what happened exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I did like that. I did like you're adding that extra bit. And I what I always love about Yelena too is that like it's always this bit of like like really quick witted quick witted uh, razor sharp humor that she has. It's very it's very it's very it's very like her whole conversation with Kate was just like, it was just like, boom, everything is just like, it's just right there at like, at her fingertips, like the jokes, the facts, the threats, everything. She is like ready to just dish it out at all times. It's like her reaction time, not just in battle, but like with her mind is so great. And her, her wit is great. Um, I am, I'm such a sucker for a character who is highly verbal and, uh, and, uh, highly intelligent. Like those are the, those are the things that I love to see that are, and highly capable. That's what I wanted to say, like highly verbal and highly capable. Someone who's really good at what they do and who is really good at talking about what they do and what they don't do and everything that they're thinking about in a fun, entertaining way. Those are like, I'm just like such a sucker for that. So, and she is that in spades. So that's why I'm, so that's like the commonality that I see between her and like Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark. It's like, They're effortlessly capable at everything, and also they're inc- they're like hyperverbal and are able to just say everything that's happening in the most fun, witty way possible. Which is almost sort of like Kate Bishop, like Kate Bishop. Yeah, it, absolutely. It, but it's not as I would say. I don't know. She's like, she's kind of like the she's pluckier. Way. She's the on yeah. way there. You know, she's. I think Kate Bishop is has a as a plucky disposition that I would not necessarily say that uh, Elena. Belova has. I wouldn't call her plucky, but I would call Kate plucky. I feel like like Kate has like a kind of like Tom Holland Spider-Man quality to her to her. Oh, 100%. She definitely does. Um for me Imagine the, the two of them in a scene together. Oh, come on. It would just be like it would be so fun. It would be so fun. The three of, we get to. I well, I would I I would I think I would rather see Elena and Unless you were mentioning this, Yelena and Tom Holland Spider-Man in a scene together, I think would be. Oh, I mean, Tom Holland wouldn't know what to do with Yelena. Like that, she's. Well, just... I know that's why I want to see. <laughs> <laughs> like I want to see that awkward and her just rolling her eyes till they fall. Yeah. Off her head. <laughs> like I mean, one of the great Black Widow scenes is where she does the Black Widow pose and she's like, "Damn it!" Like I did it, you know. And I love that. Scene. One of my favorites. Um, yeah. Clank glasses together on my desk. Um, my bullseye is gonna be. Um, it's it is actually what you what you raised your fist in anger about uh, the last podcast was how um, the Echo character was had her shift of you know hell bent on revenge and then all of a sudden she she finds out the conspiracy everything like everything she did in this episode she was great the 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 fight scenes were excellent and I think you what. Marvel has uh, had a problem with in the past. I know is just like this kind of antagonist or this villain problem or antagonist problem with her kind of disposable, but we've given her, we've now made her like this very formidable character that we want to see more of. Um, and now she's going to have her own show, which this was kind of like the big proving ground for it. So it's like, look, great in action. Here's all this drama. Here's, here's the, here's the seeds for the new story. And it's excellent. It's it's so good, and I'm just like I'm like okay, when's this Echo series coming out? Because now I want to watch it. Like supposedly, this, like this time next year. 
that's uh, they've they're fat what i heard was that they're fast tracking it ahead of some of the other things they, they had previously announced because they kind of wanted to capitalize on the momentum of this show which shows that they saw what we are seeing now and they like knew what they had and they were very confident about it and i love that i love that marvel has the ability to be flexible in that way because so much of what their reputation is is like we have planned out until the next 30 years and we know everything that's going to happen it's like and like that's fun to a point but it's nice to be able to be flexible and to pivot when you see something working really good and having potential the best thing about having a plan is be able to break those plans and be able to adapt i mean that's the best part of it i I think uh or that's just how i always operate um (laughs) let's go into uh let's go into what we call the fruitcake it's the it's the gift no one wants it's the dessert no one wants to eat i mean alex i'm sure you'd be like i love fruitcake and i'm like Shit. i've literally never eaten fruitcake in my life oh. i don't even know what it tastes like oh. i honestly for a long time as a slight tangent because you know this is tangent city right i'm allowed to hey, I'm um I, for a very long time, thought that fruitcakes weren't real and they were just a thing that happened on TV, especially like from the past, you know, like I didn't, I'd never encountered a fruitcake in the wild. And I just thought it was just like one of those things that are on TV and movies, but aren't actually in real life. Oh yeah. No, I I was the same way. I completely agree with you until my mom made one and I looked at it. I'm like, oh, I understand why no one wants that. (laughs) I didn't say that to my mom. I like cake with fruit in it, you know, like with like, uh, like. There's this like with uh, there, there's this one cake that's really good at this bakery that I used to go to where it's like uh, it has like pastry cream in it um, and then it has like vanilla cream and it has like strawberries and kiwis and it and bananas and it just like it's so and it's white cake and then there's like icing on top. It's the most delicious cake I've ever eaten. Well, now I just want to go have cake and that's a bad idea for me. So let's not. Uh, so let's <laughs> talk about the, hey, let's talk about the. Um, Let's talk about what didn't work for you in this episode. Okay. Um, I don't honestly, I'm going to be honest and say that this is my favorite episode of this series. So it's going to be really hard to think of something that didn't work. I guess if I had to like really nitpick, I would say that it would have been nice to get a little bit more progress on the watch situation. You know, I mean, they spent so much time setting it up in the last two episodes and then they kind of really they like mention it. They say like, oh, they know who you are. Like we have they have the watch. They know about the kids and just like but I feel like maybe we could have gotten like a little bit more progress because for one thing, I thought that I thought that Kate had the watch at the end of last week's episode. But then then Clint says that uh, Maya has the watch. And I was like, when did Maya get the watch back from Kate? Kate had it in her hands. I don't remember in that scene, in that fight scene, her getting the watch. I thought Yelena had the watch. Oh, I, well, I didn't see that. I don't know that, that fight scene was very poorly staged in my opinion. And maybe the worst part of that episode. So I guess maybe that's part of why I don't know who had the watch or where it is now. But yeah, but, I don't know. I would have liked to see more. I got like excited about the fact that we might be getting like a big reveal for Linda Cardellini's character. And they kind of just left that on ice for our, for this episode. And honestly, the episode worked so well, I wouldn't necessarily want to like take something away to add a scene in about the watch. But yeah, that that's the one quibble or, or I guess the other thing is, is that it would have maybe been fun to see uh, like 
Yelena take a video of um, <laughs> of Vincent D'Onofrio and uh, Vera Farmiga so it wasn't just a still image um, and we got to see him talk for like a second and get like a little sneak peek of the vibe that the two of them have together but I'm I, these are very very small minor quibbles because genuinely like I have no complaints about this what's, episode so what's, okay as again you fill me in the watch was this another stuff like am I, why am I supposed to no no, the watch hasn't. It's it. This is it's new to Hawkeye. I, I have, so I'm like confused. I'm like, okay, they have a watch. Like, what's in the what's instead of what's in the it's, box? What's in the watch? <laughs> well, they they do make clear that like the fact that Maya had like the kids' names and ages has something to do with the fact that she also has the watch. So there, there's something about like the watch and the kid's identity and Lynn and Laura Barton's identity. It's all like connected into the watch. I'm assuming there's like a microchip in the watch or some sort of tracking beacon or so we know that there's a tracking beacon. So there's, there's like some sort of other thing in the watch that they must have like pulled information out of. Maybe, I don't know. It, it's been, it has not been established in prior MCU properties. No. And, and also I do. And I mean, this is just kind of like a, we need to suspend disbelief a little bit and just like give the show this, but they mentioned that like the watch was recovered in the, like the rubble of Avengers complex. Um, and they also mentioned that like the Ronin's suit was as well, but Clint is wearing that suit during the whole fight. And so, and like, I don't under, like, did he just strip naked after the fight was over and leave his clothes in the rubble? Like, I don't understand how it would have been in the rubble with all of the other stuff, but I guess we just, no one has asked that question. I, you know, I follow a lot of podcasts. I read a lot of blogs. This is not pinged for anyone else. So I guess we just have to like accept it. Maybe I'm the only one who this bothers, but like he's very clothed in that outfit um, when like after everything blows up and stuff. And then like, presumably he left still with the clothes on his back. So I don't really understand. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Well, I guess, I guess that's kind of besides the point at this point. <laughs> uh, for me, I think it was the runtime. That's what I'm going to knock. It, it was a very quick episode and more. And, and like, I think like Disney plus does this a lot with these penultimate episodes. There's a lot of, we take detours it's or it's short, you know, I still go back to Mandalorian season two, where we just were like, you know, let's give Bill Burr a redemption arc, you know, and, instead of like, you hate that battle. so much. I, know, I, I got over it. But it's just like, let's give him a redemption arc. Okay, sure. Like, okay, let's take a trip through other stuff. And it's like, it seems that they do that. I just would have like, I think if you gave five more minutes, like I said, to develop little things like the watch, um, maybe a little more Kingpin, um, maybe a little more intrigue onto who, you know, what the Yelena, uh, Mama Bishop, you know, this little, in her following her, you know what I mean? I, I think there could have just been a couple more minutes in there to flesh a couple things out. I think that's my, that's my real nitpick of the episode. I mean, gosh, when you have like, when you have the, uh, the tracksuit mafia talking about the Royal Tenenbaums and run the MC. And then, like, <laughs> I mean, you, you can't ask for uh, a better episode in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I guess if I, another like thing that I could say is like not enough, Yelena, I feel like we could have gotten like another scene with her. I would um, love doing to- anything, just like yeah. watching her walk down the street more, like eat a hot dog, you know, like whatever. I don't care. <laughs> I would have loved it if it started like when she's following 
Kate's mom where she's actually gazing at the tree. Like it's Kate's mom. Like we're, it's all focused on her. And then she walks past yeah. Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. There's Yelena. She turns around and she follows her and she goes zigzags around and, you know, she goes into that office. Like that would be cool. She stops and like catches like something in the mirror. She's like, oh, that's cool. You know, or like, <laughs> or just like quickly takes a picture or something. Cause that, that seems like a Yelena thing. She's like, I'm good enough. Like you could get like a couple of paces ahead of me. I'm just going to take this picture real quick. Okay, cool. I'm back on the scene. I'm good. Yeah. But I would want them to still preserve like the surprise reveal. Like I wouldn't want us oh. to know exactly what she's seeing. Like I would want to keep it on Elena's perspective because I just I, honest, like I audibly gasped in the fight when like that, ha- when like the reveal happened and then it's like cut to credits. I literally gasped. I was, it's like oh, it was was like, 6 a.m. Like, on a Wednesday morning. And I was just like, oh. <gasps> Like that was me. And I was just, and then I was like, I was embarrassed that I actually like gasped at something. It's just like, that's so corny, it's like <laughs> but the, it, I, it was involuntary. And that's a, I, that's a testament I, to the show. I pumped my hands in the air. Like, like uh, someone just scored a touchdown because it's just like, we've been waiting for the connection, like the actual visceral connection to the Netflix shows. And we finally get it. Cause we keep hearing Charlie Cox might be in Spider-Man. You know, we keep hearing like, Oh, they have the rights now. And you're like, all right, cool. What are they going to do with it? You know? And it's like, and it's just like, we got hints that it could be Kingpin. We talked about it last episode. Could it be Kingpin? Yeah, it could. Maybe. But it wasn't like we were... It felt, I mean, were you, I wasn't surprised that they showed him. I was excited that they showed him. I was like, my gasp was that they showed him and then like, not then it's boom. End of episode. Oh, that was yeah, really same. exciting. I to was me. just happy they did it because I was thinking it was going to be one of those mid credit finale shots. Mm. You know what I mean? Not I, yeah. Finale. I would be, I think they know that people would be disappointed sure. if, and when they're dealing with live ammo like this, they want to make sure they can make the most of it, right? They don't want to like have this great reveal that people are excited about and then do it in such a way that actually leads people feeling disappointed instead of excited for the future. So I'm glad that they didn't do that. I think I that, that shows that they like get their fan base enough. I thought it was going to be something with Val. Like I thought that's who sent her. Like I thought, or, or that um, well, Bishop's mom was on the phone. That's what, no, I'm sorry. Rewind that. That's who I thought yeah. Bishop's mom was on the phone with. She calls Val. And she was. Yeah. We, we have, it's reasonable to assume that she was. We Maybe she was on the phone with with Wilson Fisk, who then called Val. But, I, I you know, regardless, I, there was a lot of, like, kind of uh, back and forth about, like, well, who was she talking to? Was she calling Elena directly? Like, this is so confusing now because Val was the one who recruited her in the end credit scene of Black Widow. So then why wouldn't she, what's going on? I was like, well, like, you, like what we know about Eleanor Bishop is enough to know that she would not call a uh, for hire assassin directly oh, on her cell phone. <laughs> so like, we know that she definitely didn't call Yelena directly. So I think that it all works out that like, it's because some people were like, well, this is inconsistent with the end credit scene of Black Widow. And I don't find it inconsistent. I think I you're right. She could have been calling Fisk who called Val, who called Yelena, or she could have just been calling Val who called Yelena, you know, oh, um, I think they're all buddies. <laughs> <laughs> I need to see it. I need to see it. That that's who I want to see at the end. Yeah. Like that's the well, end, that's the end credit sequence in a diner. Yeah. In New York, obviously. Because we're gonna they're make itself. They're, they're eating shawarma. It's they're just it's just Wilson Fisk and Eleanor Bishop and, and Contessa. No, they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna be in the uh, what's it called? They're gonna be in a, a diner like in Seinfeld. That's how it's gonna Oh, oh I see. Oh gosh. 
that is blatant. You're not going to hear the bass riffs in the back, but I get to see it. I, I only want that to be true if, like, uh, <laughs> if Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin plays George, then then I'm in. Come on, <laughs> it'd be great. Um, uh, we. Uh, just to let people know, we were talking about someone who might be coming in. Johnny Rawls, who our resident guest, uh, had a personal situation. He, he messaged me. He might be coming on a little bit just to give some words, but he had a personal thing. So if he, he might not be on the episode this week. So, Johnny, if you're listening to this later on, I hope everything's good. Um, so let's get to uh, what we like to call the Pizza Dog Award. Because, listen, if you've listened to any of the podcasts in 2021, Al Manorino is obsessed with Pizza Dog. It's he's being we've all learned he's the best boy in the world. So this award goes to the best performance in the episode. Alex, I I think I already know who you're going to (laughs) say. I mean, once again, tempted to give it to Tony Dalton for his one scene because it was really excellent. Um, But no, it's 100 percent Florence Pugh. She stole the show. I think that her and Haley Seinfeld together do a really great job in that scene. So it's like hard. It almost feels like unfair to choose between the two of them because that's such a great two hander. Um, and they're bouncing off of each other so well. And like, you're seeing so much, like so many different interesting sides of Kate um, as she's experiencing Yelena. Like we know who Yelena is, but she doesn't. And uh, so it's just, it's a very interesting way. Like we're seeing a lot of interesting sides of her character. And I think Haley Seinfeld plays that beautifully, but, but it's gotta be Florence Pugh. She just totally like walks into the room and just steals the show out from under everyone else. And that's just, you gotta give them credit for that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I would like to give honorable mention to Jeremy Renner, but I'm not going to because I don't think he's giving a particularly good performance in this show. I think he's fine. I think he he brings it in some in some episodes and in some well, in some scenes he really brings it. And in other scenes, he feels like he's kind of phoning it in a little bit. And and I thought the I thought the construction of that uh, sequence with him and Maya, where they're kind of where he is interestingly presented as the villain. He's giving the villain speech the you're not so different. You and I like that's the villain speech and he's delivering it to her. And I, and because from her perspective, he is her villain. Um, and so I think that all of that is really cool. I think that he just like, isn't that interesting in that scene though. I don't think he gives it as much as he could. And uh, yeah, I just, I think that he is an excellent actor when he wants to be, but he's only uh, half-hearted in a lot of this show. Like, especially like when he's like talking to Nat in front of like the monument at Avengers, like that should be such a really powerful moving sequence. And I I just didn't get anything off of it. It was a solid scene that should have been a tear jerking scene. Yeah, exactly. So, and I, and like, it's just him talking. So like, I, you got to lay it at his feet for not bringing it the way that he could. So, and I feel like when he's in scenes with Haley Seinfeld, he is bringing it. Cause I think that she brings it out of him and I oh, think they have a really good chemistry together, but, and I think <laughs> interestingly enough, a lot of his scenes on the phone with Linda, who is, he's obviously acting by himself yeah. um, in those scenes. I think he, he also is better. Cause I think he actually has like a relationship to access and can like do the actor thing. But, but yeah, Otherwise, I don't. Uh, I've been really disappointed with him over the course of this season, and uh, and that wasn't your question. So my answer is Florence Pugh. Sorry. <laughs> That's all good, man. It's it's hard not to pick Florence Pugh. Just that scene alone. I mean, she's just so awesome in it. It's just like, and it it's so it seems so effortless. 
you know, where you're just like, God damn it, you're just that good. It doesn't even seem like you're trying. Like, you know, it's just like watching an amazing athlete just make an effortless play. And you're like, it, it just seemed like you just that you you woke up and been like, oh, I just did this amazing thing, you know. Uh, but I, I'm going to stick um, as much I give uh, honorable mention to uh, Linda Cardellini, who, uh, again, is also just acting by herself. Uh, she was great. <laughs> Do you think they set that set up in her house? Like, I mean, it's just crazy. Like, she's literally just. <laughs> she could be anywhere in the world. She's literally just show. because of COVID. They probably just like, all right, Linda, we're gonna just <laughs> like you know a small crew to your house. Uh, it's lovely. Just decorate for Christmas. Well, she just exists inside of the kitchen. That's pretty much it, right? Like, <laughs> that's it. it's just like guys, we're not like the, everything's in the upstairs. It's like my house. No one goes up to, to our bedroom because that's like the, the catch-all when company comes. So it's like, all right, everyone downstairs. Um, but. <laughs> I'm gonna go with the local uh, local Cox uh, who plays Echo. Nice. She was she was great. Um, I've I've mentioned it before. I really uh, this car- this episode sold me on the Echo series. I mean, I wanted to watch it, no, no doubt, but I think this really sold it even further. This this was the big stamp of this is what this show is going to be about. Here's how awesome she is, and we go from there. And I'm very excited to see where they take her into the end of the series. Um, and I mean, we've talked about Haley Steinfeld episodes before. She's great. She's doing it. She has a very complex performance and she does it again, wonderfully. And I do want to see the Kate Bishop, Yelena, uh, you know, buddy cop type show, the, you know, the odd couples series where they're just going around solving crimes and fighting, fighting bad guys and just bickering, but also being like, best friends and stuff like that. I think that's, that's a hell of a show right there. That's the hangout yeah. vibe that we're, we all want for the future because it, I think, it's delightful. I think we can comfortably say that a million tumblers launched at three 30 AM on Wednesday morning, uh, around the pairing of uh, Bishop and Belova. So I, I can't wait to see what comes next from that. Also a uh, special honorable mention to Alex, uh, Ponovic and, uh, Pitor Adamczyk. Uh, as Ivan and Tomas, because uh, that was just like comedy gold. Like they just, they, it was a small, tiny moment, the two of them in the car talking about Christmas stuff and then getting the arrow and him thinking he was going to hit him and it doesn't. And he's like, but Maya's not here. What are we, how are we, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> just like a little tiny thing. And it was just so funny. I was like very into that. They're, they're these great side characters that are not necessary, but just add so much to the, uh, add so much to the, to the show. Um, yeah. now let, let's talk about our Christmas story or Christmas conspiracy story, uh, which is basically our theories for the next episode, which is the finale. Uh, some of our theories we've talked about are that Vera Farmiga is um, a villain, uh, that she was behind all of this. Uh, we talked about and Kingpin. Was that? We know that's true. So, yeah, no, so <laughs> I'm just saying what we did last time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Alex, what, uh, what are your uh, theories and thoughts? going into the finale well i mean we know that um there's a christmas party coming up uh kind of insane that it seems to be happening on christmas day based on the timeline that we're happening you know everyone's favorite corporate christmas parties on christmas like wow that would really suck if you worked at that job (laughs) um that's the biggest tell that she's a supervillain actually is that she would host her christmas party on christmas uh They, what, what a jerk! Oh, well, the, the timelines also confused me because I'm just like, what day is it? And it's like Clint's like, I need one more day. Every, yeah, it's every every episode is one day, 
and it's six episodes and there's like seven days before Christmas, basically when the show starts. So, yeah. So it's, yeah. So it lines yeah. Up uh, but, um, but yeah, so my theory basically is that it's all converging on the Christmas party. And I think, uh, Wilson Fisk is going to be a guest at the Christmas party. I think we could even see the Contessa Val at the Christmas party. I think that, uh, we will get a fun action sequence. I think that, um, the truth of, uh, of Kate's mom is going to come out in full. I think Kate's probably going to try to come up with some sort of justification or rationalization why her mom isn't guilty, uh, at least fully. And then uh, she will be forced to reckon with the truth of her mom and there will be some sort of climactic face-off. Um, and I think it's all coming down to, you know, uh, Clint and Maya teaming up to try to take on the Kingpin unsuccessfully, I'm sure, um, to set up uh, Echo's solo series, which will definitely be about her trying to take down the Kingpin. Maybe with Matt Murdock's help, we'll find out. And uh, yeah, and I think also biggest uh, theory is that we're going to find out that Tony Dalton is truly just a, a a rich dummy and was just manipulated and used by Vera Farmiga the whole time and, and genuinely didn't do anything. And maybe like he's good with swords, but that's only because he's very privileged and had nothing else to do with his life. <laughs> there was this theory that he was this character called the swordsman. Well, he is the character called the swordsman. Like that is his, like Jack Duquesne is the swordsman in the comics. Um, but how much that's going to like what we know is that like they have diverged significantly from who that character was in the comics, because like in the comics, like right. he was in the like circus with Clint and he trained him how to be a, like a, a Hawkeye, if you will. Um, and obviously none of that is true in the MCU. Um, instead, they kind of just shifted him to be more of this interesting uh, paternalistic figure for Kate Bishop instead, which I think is like a fun way of avoiding trying to tell people that actually secretly Jeremy Renner was in the circus this whole time. Cause I think yeah, that would be hard to swallow. <laughs> they, they never brought that up. But it, Cause I, when you said, that, I'm like, Oh Jesus, that's right. I remember reading on my mom, the Marvel card I had of Hawkeye. Uh -huh. in the circus. Yeah. And he was a villain too, before he joined the Avengers, which is also interesting. So it was, uh, but, but yeah. So what are your, what are your, some of your theories? Um, I think we're going to find out. I, I feel like there's stuff with the dad. So we had the whole beginning where it was like they had this argument. And I'm like, yeah. something's going to come out about the dad where it was like either he found out about something or he had a shady past or something. Like there's something about him. Oh, I mean, that, that dude is definitely shady just from that one conversation, I like mean, that one fight that she's having with him. I mean, he's, he's definitely Irish mob. I like, you know what I mean? Like he's, he's totally a Westie. Uh, but like, but it's, you know, so we're going to find out about him. Something's going to, and it's going to come out. And like, do you think he's still alive? Oh, that is, we never see him die. We don't. And he's played by Brian Darcy James, who is like a legit actor. Oh, and yeah. And so for him to literally just be on this show for a single scene, like as like in the prequel, basically, like in like the prelude to the series even starting, that seems unlikely. But like also, hmm, I don't know. Like some people thought that they also, digitally de-aged him for that scene which would really make it seem like he would be coming back because otherwise if he was only there to yeah. be in that one scene like you wouldn't de-age him you would just hire a younger actor <laughs> so he's in the credits for every episode so i feel like he's gonna come back like i feel like we're it's a comeback or something's gonna happen where we're gonna see him again in the series I, you know what i'm gonna put money on 
I'm going to put money on that, you know, several of these episodes have started with like an introduction, like flashback. And I think we're going to get an introduction flashback of Eleanor and like how she became the like kingpin best friend kind of deal. And it's going to be about whatever happened with her husband, what her husband was up to, how she ended up getting roped into all of this after her husband's apparent death. And so I think that maybe a lot of those answers are going to be uh, given to us right away in that opening sequence. Yeah, because there's something about money and how they couldn't afford stuff. Or is that was- well, they said that like it was based like the 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 general impression is like they like husband fucked messed up sorry <laughs> husband messed up and uh and like now they're like the house of cards is falling down basically and and she literally says like you know it's not like a solution is gonna just fall from the sky and then like literally aliens fall from the sky and ooh that's a solution to the problem because suddenly he's dead so um yeah so the, it definitely seems like um either he died for real and the solution was his death and like life insurance or something like that or he faked his death for the life insurance or whatever and now he's kind of uh acting in the shadows with eleanor as his like front man like in the world moving around i hope that's not true because that would kind of stink if eleanor was like just being puppeted by her dead husband that would kind of suck i think i think he's just dead i think like but we're gonna he's the tie between kingpin and 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 um and eleanor yeah and i, 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 that, I wasn't joking yeah. when i said that he was a westie because there's like i mean the the daredevil run like a big part of it was like hell's kitchen back in the day so i'm like i could see yeah. that him being they, like, well tied into that. what eleanor says about him they really only talk about him a couple of times but what they say about him is that he is someone who was always rich like she refers she makes a reference to the fact that like Kate and Kate's dad have it in co- have this in common that they were That's both right. always rich. Yeah. So I think that he definitely comes from money. I don't think it's necessarily like strictly like a mob thing because okay. I think that like a, I'm guessing that like insane penthouse that they live in is like dating back to like the 20s or something, you know. So like but definitely through shady means also, you know. But I don't know. If you want to see Brian Darcy James play an Irish mobster, you should watch The Kitchen, which is a terrible movie from a few years ago, Brother, where he plays uh, <laughs> where Lose he plays McCarthy's that. Husband. Oh, Melissa I saw McCarthy's, McCarthy's husband, yeah. <laughs> with my wife, and I wrote the review. I'm like, this is just uh, bad. I, uh, never have I been more excited for a movie that was so I terrible. <laughs> Checked off all the boxes and then quickly unchecked them. Um, yeah. There's also Michael Clayton. George Clooney's uh, one of his brothers, I think. Michael Clayton's such a good movie. Oh, so great. Go watch Michael Clayton, guys. That's a great Imagine movie. if Michael Clayton shows up as like uh, Eleanor's <laughs> fixer at the end of this next week's episode. In the MC- Michael Clayton's the MCU. That would- <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, Mike Drop, uh, George Clooney is in the MCU and he's working for Wilson Fisk. <laughs> I mean, it'd be such a stretch, but I would love it so yeah. much. Um, Who wouldn't? I would never want to be so excited. I mean, most people would have no idea what it was, but uh, <laughs> you and I, I would bring you back on the finale podcast. But that's Michael Clayton's. <laughs> yeah, no, I think honestly, the Venn diagram between like Michael Clayton fans and Marvel fans is probably not that large, but we're definitely in there. <laughs> and it's you. Uh, yeah. So I think, and like Sean Fennessy of The Ringer would also probably be very excited. <laughs> So yeah, I definitely we're definitely gonna get stuff on the dad for sure. I think we are. Um, I really hope we do get the reunion. I think we'll get the re- Christmas reunion. 
somehow, some way. Sure. Yeah. It's going to be, he's going to play, he's going to pull like a, um, what's it called? Uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas and get home for Christmas just in time. Wow. You know, that, that made for TV movie. I'll be home for Christmas. I didn't want Sorry, it. Jonathan Taylor Thomas <laughs> from like yeah. 1998. He was, he was so hot back then. So he was. no puck, but, and the other thing is, um, I think we'll, I'm, we'll get something. I think we'll, we'll close off on echo. Uh, and we'll have something lead off for her for sure. That's not even a conspiracy. That's definitely going to happen. Yeah. I am not unconvinced that, uh, we don't see daredevil at the end of this. Well, yeah. So here's, I think this is a question I mean, that people are probably wondering. No way home, mm-hmm. but like we don't know. So yeah, if we're going to, so most people watch, listening to this episode will have, if they care, which they probably do because they're listening to this episode, um, will have seen Spider-Man No Way Home or will be in the process of seeing it. Uh, do you think that that, the events of that film will connect to this story at all? And do you want it to given how much is happening and how invested we are in all of these characters at this point in the plot and and all of these things do we want a spider-man like tie-in to just like shake things up in the final episode so that's dealing with the multiverse and this is we haven't tied too much outside of the beginning with you know the scene from the first avengers we haven't tied too much of this um like super soldiers or any of the any supernatural or any sci-fi or fantasy elements into Hawkeye. So I don't mm-hmm. know how I'd feel about that. I feel like I don't want that. Like, I feel like if, if Matt Murdock shows up somehow, even if it's like they gloss past his apartment or some or someone from the defenders, like they do that, like that's fine, but I don't want Spider-Man. I don't want any supernaturals, like any high fantasy stuff, any multiverse stuff. Let's, let's keep it here. And then we could eventually, everyone comes together in it because it's, I, I don't know. So you don't want like the timelines of these two properties to overlap directly. Cause you know, the events of Spider-Man no way home are happening in New York. And obviously the events of this show are happening in this New York. is happening in 2023. It seems like, so I don't know if that's, I don't know when Spider-Man no way home is happening. Like what year is that? Uh, it is unclear because that's, well, so what we know, like what we know about this is that so the spider-man far from home happens uh like june to july of 2023 okay and so it should be happening right after it yeah and this is obviously christmas of 2023 well, right starts. and far from home definitely leaves off on a cliffhanger that suggests that no way home will happen immediately Immediately. after but it could be a situation where like it starts immediately after and then it happens over the course of a long period of time could be a couple of months feels weird if like the events of no way home happened like just before this that people aren't talking about the fact that like people from other dimensions like invaded New York. (laughs) I feel like that would have come up. Um, But it's also worth noting that this show originally was supposed to be set in Christmas of 2025 and then uh they decided to push it back to 2023 because they wanted it to be closer probably because they're doing the spinoff with Echo and they don't want the timeline to be too shuffled but yeah originally this was supposed to be happening like well after the events of Endgame and so I think the timeline right now is a little bit confused and purposely so because the 
you know, the production timeline for all these things are a little bit confused because of the pandemic and everything. So they're kind of being a little bit vague. So I don't know. To answer my question, what I think would be cool to happen, we have a pretty good idea that at least Matt Murdock is going to be in Spider-Man No Way Home, that that is going to be his big unveiling, right? Probably, yeah. but probably as a person who has existed in the world already, right? As the person that we already yeah. know. I think he's coming so, through a portal or some, of some sort. Yeah, I don't think he's coming through a, a portal. I think he's going to be like, he. his stories happened in the MCU, so that's fine. Um, or at least whatever new rebooted version, if like they reboot the universe because of this, whatever, we don't know what's going to happen. But so what I think would be a fun um, kind of like post-credit scene for this show is like, uh, Maya is uh, like starting on her quest to, to take on the Kingpin and uh, like Daredevil in costume pops up and is like, Hey, I heard you're like looking to take on Fisk. Like I can help, you know? And like, yeah, that could be a I fun end credit scene. Because also Matt Murdock is, he's a street level hero. He's like, he's not involved yeah. in a lot of high fantasy stuff. I mean, he, he yeah, does. Well, I mean, there's the whole, if <laughs> you like like immortal ninjas i don't know if we count that as high fantasy but but... i mean like he's also like <laughs> he's a lawyer and you know hell's yeah Kitchen. yeah you know he develops all this you know but i mean that's what i mean like he's not, he's not going yes. into different realms and fighting no, no, no. you're not wrong it's just like is it's saying something about like what the marvel universe is like that like uh, a blind <laughs> assassin who is deals with ninja immortal ninjas is like low level street level yeah. stuff yeah. <laughs> come on guys come on we had a guy who snapped his fingers and ended everyone so um so yeah that's what i want to see i want to see like we're gonna see daredevil come into this and um i want clint to go home for christmas you know, we, I actually want to see him interact with Linda Cardellini. That's what I, I want Kate to go home for Christmas with Clint. I think that would be a nice place for her to get the, yeah, like Kate and pizza dog go to the Barton ranch. They get to her farm, whatever. I don't, I don't care. Um, and they like celebrate Christmas together. And then Clint like gives her his bow and all of his trick arrows and is like, it's your time now. The, uh, he presents, you know what he'll do? He'll present her like grills had the costumes. Yeah. Present her. Well, that might happen beforehand, but I think it would be cool if he handed her at the, the farm, he hands her the outfit, but then he hangs his up in his secret, uh, his, I, Mr. I, his Mr. Incredible office. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he'll have, like, they'll both be in costume before yeah. that point. But I think that what they can do is he can give her his bow and arrows yeah, for sure. as a literal, like, passing of the baton, if you will. And that could happen on the farm. And, like, as a Christmas present, I mean, come on, it's perfect, right? It is. <laughs> she, doesn't have, she doesn't have family anymore, so here we go. Yeah, because, like, her, because turns out mom's evil. Whoops. Okay. <laughs> Did you ever see what the aunt's name was that they took the house from? They did. I don't. I don't recall. It's apparently like a reference to some West Coast Avengers character, like some like nineteen uh, twenties era movie star who like the West Coast Avengers like live in their her mansion. Um, um, I was gonna but, say it's like her aunt Jessica. It's like Jessica Jones, and you're like, what? Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's not Jessica. You're Jones. like, we're like, oh my gosh, we're we're packing a lot into this show. Yeah, um, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so Alex, uh, let's get into our final segment, uh, which is rating. Uh, the episode on a scale of one to 10 pizza slices, one being just completely gnarly and two being completely radical, like uh, a 10, I'm not two, 10 uh, being, you know, great. So what do you give this on a scale of one to 10? 
I mean, I came in prepared to give it eight slices of pizza, but I'm going to give it eight and a half because I just like it was a really good episode of TV. It had everything that you want. And there are, you know, I think, as I said, the show has been very consistent in kind of like B plus territory, which if every if if the best it could be is B plus, but it also kind of deviated like into even worse territory, then that would kind of be an insult. But to be consistently B plus every single week is not an easy thing to do, especially with a show like this. So that I don't really think that that's faint praise, but for this episode, I think it was a step above and it was really exciting and it was really fun and had a lot of personality and it moved the plot and it advanced the characters and it, it focused on all of the right things. So I'm going to give it an eight and a half. I'm going to go with a nine. I'm going to give it that full slice because I felt like this hit all the hallmarks of what the, the show is good action, great characters, funny, charming, and serious when it needs to be. And uh, it hit all those marks. And like I said, we had very little to quibble with. I thought uh, my big complaints about with everything with Maya, I think that got resolved. The murder mystery or murder conspiracy. uh, I think we don't even remember that guy's name. (laughs) The swordsman, come on. No, the guy who died. <laughs> the guy from Ace Ventura too. <laughs> okay. Yes. That's hard. Listen, there's he only so many things I remember from the mid nineties. His name is Armand and he has hard candies, like named after him. So I can't remember who it was. The <laughs> my brain works. Um yeah. finally I'm hit. still thinking about Jonathan Taylor Thomas and I'll be home for Christmas. Sorry. You gotta live in your world, brother. I appreciate yeah. you. Uh, so I like um, I like that you've seen Ace Ventura Pet Detective 2 and I've seen I'll Be Home for Christmas and I feel like that really represents where we were both at in the in the mid to late 90s I was a little bit older than you too uh, but uh, <laughs> and, and not crushing on a teen idol um, <laughs> I mean I was but it was Jennifer Love Hewitt and Katie Holmes but you know listen I was a big uh, WB, well, WB fan what can I tell you uh, sure. That's what you were a, a, a big fan of. The I, was WB. Big fan of I was a big fan of this. It's not a secret. It was wrestling, guys. Uh, but uh, this, uh, the, the, the macaroni scene was great. It, it's it's going to be the tra- a, a trademark scene uh, for, for the show, and it's going to be right up there with uh, some of those scenes from Wanda. You know, this, we're going to go back to, and it's going to just, this interaction will be a, it'll be one we go back to. It's like, I remember it's, you know, it's like we go back to this. Oh, they they first meet. It's like it, the whole thing. It's great. And um, they really did a nice job quickly um, giving gravity and context to Yelena, especially if you didn't see Black Widow. It's like, which I did. Mm-hmm. So I did see Black Widow. Did a whole podcast on it. Uh, so it's <laughs> like, you know, it's like, oh, you didn't watch Black Widow. Okay, here's everything you need to know real quick. It's her sister, Blip. She wants Clint dead. Great. That's all you need to know. Oh, by the way, she is an amazing character. And that scene with Haley Steinfeld and uh, Florence Pugh was fantastic. And I love where they're going. The The reveal of Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin was, I think, something everyone wanted to see. And it was just like that paid off huge. And I loved it. And I can't wait to see what the finale is going to be. I hope we get a full hour. I hope we get a, we get a lot of time with it. And um it's it's gonna be awesome. So I'm I'm stoked for it, man. So um, that is our uh, that's our review of Hawkeye episode, the penultimate episode. Um, before we go, Alex, uh, any recommendations for the holiday season, or any some of the best of 2021 stuff that you uh, want to promote? I know you just put out a great 
list of podcasts and um, uh, that you listen to. You ranked your podcast for the year. You're a big ranker. So, uh, yes. What would you um, What would you me like? Me and me and former President Barack Obama. We like to put our rankings out on Twitter at the end of every year. <laughs> oh, Barry, over here. Um, but yeah, so uh, I guess my favorite podcast of the year is uh, Blank Check with Griffin and David. It's a film podcast. It's really, really good. They focus on uh, directors, filmographies uh, who have a get a series of uh, blank checks after uh, uh, having early success. And then um, sometimes the checks clear and sometimes they bounce as they say on the show. Uh, it's really, really fun, really great way to also like, if you're like looking to catch up like me on like directors and, and like classic films and, and stuff like that, it's like a nice excuse to watch certain things. Um, my favorite television show of the year is Succession. Uh, you, if you want to hear more about why you can listen to uh, the TV break on Pop Break TV podcast, where I talk about it in depth. Um, my favorite film of the year so far and there is uh, about 25 oh. films that I have left to watch that are in contention. So oh, 25 films to watch? Dude, it, we're recording this on the 16th. How are you going to get that uh, done? I never catch up on my films until like January. Yeah. Like that's what, because, you know, as many people probably know, uh, many of the best films of the year don't actually get released until the following year. Uh, so, uh, you know, the January is when I said it. I spend all of December catching up on TV and then January is when I finish catching up on film. But to date, my favorite film of the year is Tick, Tick, Bang, Bang. Um, uh, no, <laughs> that's... No, you're thinking of Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. <laughs> yes, it's Tick, about Tick, it. Boom. <laughs> Totally tick, tick, different. boom, which is a musical starring Andrew Garfield, um, who may or may not be in a movie this uh, weekend. Um, and it is uh, about it's uh, directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who everyone knows and many people are annoyed by. But I promise you, if you're annoyed by him, uh, you should still check out this movie. It is not like that kind of a musical. Uh, it's an adaptation of uh, Jonathan Larson, who is the person who created Rent. Um, it's an adaptation of the one-man show that he created prior to creating Rent, all about how hard it is basically to create a musical. Um, and it's also interweaves uh, vignettes um, and narrative about his life um, that was happening around the time that he was making that play. Um, and sadly, he did uh, pass um, very young. He was 35, I believe. Um, and, uh, yeah. And the, the, the musical is all about how he feels like he has something really important and impactful to say, and that he is, uh, a once in a generation talent basically. And if only he gets the chance to prove that, uh, he, people will see that. And he also feels like he's running out of time, um, because he's turning 30. Um, and uh, ironically, uh, he was correct about all of those things. Uh, and I think that that kind of like weighs on the film and that could have like made the film overbearing, but yeah. instead I think that it really is just such a fun and fantastic musical that I really connected to and related to and was very moved by Andrew Garfield is just giving like an incredible performance, doing things that I didn't know he was capable of doing. And he's just so in the moment um, throughout and spontaneous in his performance. And it's really excellent. So definitely if you're looking for one film to watch, it's on Netflix. You can catch it up, catch up on it anytime, but that's my favorite film of the year so far. And I really hope more people check it out. Vanessa Hudgens. I heard she was really good in that. Is she in that? Yeah, she's really good in it. Um, I mean, it's a pretty, it's not a very large part. Um, Alexandra ship 
is in it as uh, his girlfriend, and she's excellent in it. Uh, she has a voice that I didn't know she had. It's a really very beautiful voice, and she's really a uh, talented uh, dancer as well. And uh, yeah, she's really excellent in it as Andrew Garfield's love interest. And there's a number of supporting players in that film that really um, uh, enhance it. But it's just ultimately like it's a story that I think a lot of people could relate to and uh, feel an emotional connection to. And it just given uh, the like real events surrounding surrounding it, it just really heightens um, everything that's happening as you're watching it. So yeah, I think it's, and the music is great. It's really fun. Um, it's not like really maudlin or anything. It's not like super angsty. It's like very fun and, and it's like rock and Broadway, like blending together in cool ways. And, uh, and there's like fun fantasy sequences and there's this one acapella scene where like everybody's just kind of like hanging out in an apartment and they just like break out into this like incredible song that's been in my head for two weeks and uh yeah so i everyone should definitely check that out it's really fun i think all of your all of your listeners would really enjoy it nice uh for me i i've always I, you know listen I've, I've recommended a lot of stuff that i don't remember on this podcast uh, but I uh, definitely, you know, for Christmas, uh, I love the Nat King Cole Christmas album. It's the best Christmas album of all time. Um, it's just like, um, it's just a sentimental favorite for me. It's something I listen to with my dad every year. And it's something I, when I'm DJ Father Christmas, when we do pop break shows or our charity shows, I definitely have done that. And it's been, you play that, it's been a lot of fun. Um, as for best of the year on TV break, I uh, talked about my favorite TV show of 2021, which is the Netflix series Midnight Mass produced by Mike Fl and directed by Mike Flanagan, who did Dr. Sleep and The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Blind Manor, which is uh, I've talked about on this podcast as well. It's this great horror uh, series that deals with Catholicism and addiction and all sorts of stuff. It is scary as hell. It's thought provoking. It's, uh, it's really great. And it moves along pretty damn awesomely um i'm gonna go with and it comes with music uh, movie wise that's tough because i did see a decent amount of movies this year uh the one that just stuck with me though and maybe it's just because i'm my dad and i'm now watching a lot more animated films is luca that was my favorite film of the year it was just a because number two so far on my list i've loved it all year wonderful, long wonderful movie i do recommend seeing Encanto. that was a, it was a delightful movie it'll be on disney plus on christmas eve but luca is was just a wonderful movie, gorgeous to watch, great story, give you a couple tears, just really sweet and really powerful movie. I really loved it. And um, if I'm going to go with a, a quick album recommendation, check out, um, I listen, I know I'm the jam band and metal guy, but uh, the album Shore by Fleet Foxes is, um, wow, what an, an emotional, beautiful record. I really like this record a lot. It's a lot of great ballads and just really songs that, I don't know, just kind of fit what this year was. And, and not in a bad way. It just felt a good emotional record. Sometimes you need that. And uh, so that's what I'm going to go with. Um, before Alex uh, plugs his social media, of course, uh, next week is the finale. Al Manorino will be back. He is at Al Manorino, M-A-N-N-A. R-I-N-O. Check him out on Instagram. He's got a lot of great photos. He just shot churches. He was recruited by the band to shoot them and their show in Philadelphia. He shot them before Radio City Music Hall a few years ago, which is pretty rad. Uh, and then Marjani Rawls, unfortunately, couldn't make it. Uh, he, had a, he had a personal thing he had to take care of. So he is going to, he was not watching Spider-Man. <laughs> he had a real thing. Uh, check him out at Marjani Rawls, M-U-R-J-A-N-I-R-A-D. 
WLS, sorry, I'm trying to spell out in my head. Um, he writes all sorts of great stuff for Pop Break and Substream. I'll be back as well next week. Uh, so, Alex, tell us all about Pop Break's podcast. Tell us about Cinema Joe's. Tell us where we can see all your rankings. Let's hear it. Sure. Well, for all of my rankings over the course of the next month, you can check me out on Twitter at Media Thinkings. You can also follow me for film rankings and reviews and all sorts of things like that on Letterboxd at Media Thinkings. Uh, you can also check out my film podcast, Cinema Joe's at Cinema Joe's on Twitter, um, Cinema Joe's on all major podcast platforms. Uh, we're talking about lots of fun stuff this month. We did a review of The Big Sleep uh, with our friend Caleb Borchers from Marvel News Desk. That was really cool. Uh, to get to talk about a classic film like that. Uh, we're going to, speaking of musicals, we are going to be releasing a special episode on the year of musicals because there have been a lot of musicals that came out in 2021. It was like kind of a musical revival. Um, and so we were doing a special episode just uh, kind of running through some categories about all of our favorite like songs and dance numbers and performances and all that stuff. So check that out. Um, West Side Story yet? What's that? You watch West Side Story yet? No, and I may not be able to watch it before we record that episode because of events, um, which would make me really bummed. But uh, it's kind of, uh, you know, it will be the West Side Story Memorial, um, like musical awards if we can't nominate it for anything. First musical (laughs) I was ever in, West Side Story. Oh, cool. Were you Officer Crumpke? No, we didn't. No, I wasn't. (laughs) We didn't really. It was like a review we did. It was Ah, West Side Story Guys and Dolls. I was a jet obviously. Uh, of course. So, when you're a jet, you're a jet. All the way from your first cigarette to your last dying day. Don't worry. I did the dance and I had the shirt. <laughs> uh, and I was big deal. That was my name. My name was big deal. I think I said one thing oh. and it was awful, uh, but I did get into the fight scene where I, uh, I definitely got clocked for real by accident. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That was fun. The guy at least had a good 60 pounds on me. Clocked me right in the dome. Uh, <laughs> I fell, luckily stopped myself before falling into this, the back to the uh, backdrop. Uh, but yeah, good times, great memories. So yeah, if you so, want more about my musical theater experience, uh, I'll ne- probably never do a podcast about it, but Alex can talk to me yes. off air about it. Sure, absolutely. I'll, I'll rope you into it one day. Um, but in the meantime, you can also, something exciting that's going to be coming uh, before the end of the year on the pop break, I did a list of uh, my favorite uh, comic book TV adaptations of the year. It's a list of 15, the top 15 comic book adaptations of the year. And believe it or not, I watched more than 15 and some of them didn't even make the cut because uh, there was a lot of comic book TV adaptations this year. So okay. that list is going to be coming in a week or so. Um, and kind of it's it's coming together. I have the rankings tentatively, but I want to wait to see how Hawkeye finishes because it has been slowly climbing up the ranking, I will say. Um, but yeah, you will uh, not be surprised what the number one was, uh, but I won't spoil it here. Uh, but some really fun stuff, even if uh, if you're listening to this episode, you should definitely check that uh, out. <laughs> but um, also... Also, uh, if you want to check out more of my podcasts on Podbreak, uh, I am the podcast editor, so I supervise all of our, or at least most of our podcasts. <laughs> uh, Socially Distance likes to go rogue from time to time, but that's fun. Um, no. And uh, <laughs> 
And yeah, so you can uh, subscribe to the Breakcast, uh, where we have podcasts about new movies and old movies and uh, sometimes wrestling. And we have a great podcast called Talking to Coda by Luke Martin, which is all about music. It's kind of been evolving in its first year, and it's a really cool show that you should definitely check out. Um, over on our other podcast feed, Pop Break TV, uh, you can follow my and Bill's podcast, uh, TV Break, which we host with Josh Sharnacki. Uh, you can also follow Blurred Watching, which is a really fun uh, podcast that definitely covers a lot of the same stuff that uh, you guys like to talk about on Social Distance and a lot of other stuff that you guys don't get a chance to talk about. So I think uh, your viewers, your listeners rather, would definitely enjoy that podcast as well. Marshall and Courtney have both been on the podcast and I think we got one. I think their new one should be out soon. Yeah, it's supposed to be next week. We'll see what happens with the holiday week, but it's supposed to be next week. Uh, it should be an end of the year episode. That should be fun. So we'll see what happens. There's also goodbye to all that, which is by Michael T. Ford the third. He does a really good job at that. That's kind of like a after party for your favorite shows. Uh, they review seasons over there of uh, one particular show each uh, episode. And uh, there's also Roses and Rejections, which does mostly The Bachelor, but also is uh, a little uh, potpourri of other uh, reality shows throughout the year when Bachelor isn't in season. Um, and uh, Live, Laugh, and Lovey, which usually is our place to get married at first sight content but insecure is in season in their final season and so we're putting out episodes of that as well uh so yeah you definitely check out all that stuff uh also uh matt and marissa are back with their way too early oscar podcast because it actually is both entirely appropriate for them to be releasing right now and way too early because the season is hot it's on fire and the oscars are not until the end of march so (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, we got a long way to go, but right now things are still eating up. So check out what they have to say about that stuff over there. As for me, I am at Bodkin Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S, on Twitter, which mostly just stuff about wrestling. And retweets from thepopbreak.com. Of course, I'm the editor-in-chief and co-founder of the site. We're going. We're heading into uh, next September will be year 13. Uh, I did announce uh, very subtly on Facebook, just... Uh, Hopefully we will be in 2022, we'll be bringing back our charity Christmas show. Uh, we don't know where and when, and, you know, hopefully the world will be in a lot better place for us to do a free uh, show for everyone. Or to we just won't care anymore. <laughs> I'd be optimistic. Uh, so uh, check out thepopbreak.com every day, every single day we're talking about uh Television, music, movies, comic books, pro wrestling, anime, all sorts of digital trends, all sorts of great stuff. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Pop Break. As Alex mentioned, I am the, one of the co-hosts of TV Break, which drops monthly on Apple, Google, Anchor, and Spotify. All the podcasts Alex mentioned are on those platforms as well. I will be uh, producing a solo uh, episode of This Wrestling Life podcast, which is my podcast the, uh, about wrestling that I do very infrequently. In 2022, I will be redebuting this series with a brand new co-host, Mike Mueller, who does our Survivor uh, reviews as well as Rampage reviews, which is wrestling. So Mike is going to, he is the host of the Closet Champion podcast. So he is going to come on and he's going to work with me because this way I can get it done more often by having someone to work with. So, which will be great. But wait, so his reviews of Rampage isn't just him reviewing the movie Rampage every month? 
I mean, I also would love that if that was the case. I, I mean, who wouldn't? <laughs> I mean, he, he, he's a, he has a he has a very good way. He is I I can only imagine what that review would be. Um, Mike is very sarcastic, man. If you've seen he, Mike and I have been on the Bob Culture podcast a number of times together. He's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, uh, we are going to be uh, again a reminder. We have one more episode left uh, for Hawkeye. Then we're going to have a mini episode just wrapping up 2021 and previewing 2022, and then we'll be starting our book of Boba Fett. Review star series starting the first week of January. Amanda Rivas from Mission Pro Wrestling, who we had on for our Cowboy Bebop episode, is going to be joining us for that, as well as all of your favorite people. Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, I know. Uh, as well as all your favorite people from our Mandalorian review series will be back. And Alex, I hope to have you back on that penultimate episode. Of course. Okay. You'll hear from me again in about like eight weeks. I guess that's like end of January, beginning of February for the penultimate episode of Book of Boba Fett. I have no idea. So the time is time is a flat circle. So for Alex Marcus, this is Bill Bodkin saying thank you. And we look forward to seeing you next week for the Hawkeye finale. <laughs>